Welcome to this week's edition of HHMC, where Josh Reed and I talk about training topics and we dive into listener questions. This week, my good friend Josh and I, we talk about how you can improve your distance pace for longer duration. So we go into detail about heart rate training and some specific progressions that you could use in your own training that so you can extend the amount of time you spend at a desirable pace. Then we dive into ways that you can get stronger without a big mega gym session and things you can do just at home and really simple, practical things that you could do that will pay off in the long run. And then we talk about some of the benchmarks that we are currently using to determine our own fitness levels and OCR and how we're going to build on those specific um, markers to know that we are improving. So some cool workouts that we, we talk about near the end of the podcast. So I hope you enjoy. And also stay tuned because we're working on some contests to roll out to hook up the listeners with some pretty cool stuff. So I'm real excited to drop those to you. So stay tuned to that in the next couple of weeks for details. Okay, great. Here's my... What's up, man? We're recording. How are you? Uh, hydrated, caffeinated. I'm, I'm kneeling down, deciding to take the route of being active as possible during this conversation. Cause I was like standing before and now I realize like I have to be a little bit closer to the computer and like the microphone. So like last time I sat, that was weird. Like I don't like sitting. I kind of almost drift off from sitting for too long. So now I'm kneeling, I'm using my butt muscles to keep myself upright. You can't tell, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kneeling. I've heard that sometimes people using that strategy as opposed to standing like kneeling because your hips are still open. So you're not just stretching your butt the entire time. And like the kneeling actually can help with some of that, that those hip issues or just like that set those sedentary issues that people have when they sit all freaking day. I've had to combat that real hard, real hard since the, the quarantine happened has just been sitting a lot. Dude. Yeah. The sitting's rough. Oh my gosh. Does it add up? Sitting is rough. Josh, what, what's your favorite movie? Are we talking about genre or just across the board? Like if you, like if someone said, just asked you like one movie, what's the one that comes to mind? I'm sure you're, I feel like you wouldn't be surprised to hear me say fight club. Nice. It just checks so many boxes. Go on. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of mysterious. The fact that, you don't really know what's happening until like later on you realize that spoiler alert people, he's like delusional and has an alternate personality that's completely in his mind. But like that personality is wants him to jump out of his, his frame of existence and shake up his life and make him actually live. And like, yeah, yeah. Just like live outwardly and shake him of his fears. I'm like fucking awesome concept. Yeah. Taking you out of the material and what we are like kind of, told is supposed to provide us happiness like does it actually make us happiness are we all just numb or is there an experience out there that can make us feel something more did did you ever read the books you ever read chuck polonic you ever read his books uh no but i heard that they are also phenomenal i mean yeah chuck palinick yeah palinick yeah yeah yeah. i read choke um and that's also a movie with uh sam rockwell um, the movie's okay. The book is like also strange. Like there's just such strange concepts. I wish I would have read fight club before I saw the movie. Cause I don't, I have a tough time reading, reading something after I saw the movie one, because of the visuals already there in my head. So like, it'd be impossible for me to see Tyler Durden 
as it's described in the book, as opposed to just seeing Brad Pitt. And then I'm like, uh, I go from the book to the movie and try to figure out where I am. And they're not always apples to apples. So it just like is so distracting when it comes to that. That does sound distracting. So I think, I wonder if Chuck Long's books would be good audio style. I wonder, I don't know how he is as a narrator. I listened to him on a podcast and he's, I just don't know how much of like, uh, of a character he actually could be speaking. He just seems like kind of dry. He probably doesn't do it. He probably hires somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I listen to plenty of audiobooks, and like sometimes the narrator or like the person that actually wrote the book does a good job. Sometimes they have another narrator that's like great or bad. And that's really what makes the book. It's like the content of the book is one thing for sure, but how it's, how it's spoken in the case of an audible book makes a huge difference. Yeah. I, I agree on that. And it's, um, it's sometimes it's like performative. And I found with novels, if it's an actual story that the, the narrator is probably better off not being the author because it needs to be more of a performer, but if it is some sort of nonfiction life event, it's probably better to be the, the, the narrator itself. Did you listen to Goggins book? I did. Yeah. He had a, uh, yeah, well, yeah, he had a different guy narrate it, which was weird at first, but then I just kind of forgot and end up liking it. Same. Yeah, it was cool because Goggins, I think, started it. And, you know, he has those cut-ins where he it's essentially like a podcast, which I think are kind of valuable. I think that, I think it's cool. It's just a little bit different. But that book is cool, man. I wanted to resist it because I get it. Like, I get where he who he is. I get where he's coming from. But it's still cool. It's still cool to put that book on when you're doing something hard and just being like, all right, fuck this. This isn't even hard. I have listened to that book three times. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, which is, I mean, I'm listening to it probably at like 1.25 speed, but it's like, it's still, it's still a 10 hour listen, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, it's kind of addicting. It's so easy to like chew on while you're running and it just makes everything feel easier because I mean, everything compared to him, you just feel like a little bitch. Exactly. Really. <laughs> I've, I've been doing it with, uh, I've been telling you about these stair workouts I've been doing. They're in my apartment complex and it is. With the dead bird at the top? The dead bird. They cleared it. I had to put us a, a like, submit a maintenance request. I was like, there's a dead bird and a bunch of bird shit on like the 14th floor. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this. This is going to suck for you. Do you but think the bird just like shit a bunch before it died? Or like it died and then it just emptied itself? I'm guessing. It, Do they say you shit yourself when you die? I, I, uh, in the movies. South Park did that. South Park. I'm sure. Then, then yes. <laughs> the, how reliable South Park is factually is pretty actually pretty strong. So, <laughs> so if that was the case, then yes, I, I believe that you probably do shit yourself. But in this case, the shit was on the 15th floor. The bird was on the 14th floor. So unless it is just some sort of ridiculous feat that I, it's unforeseen, I would imagine the bird was hovering at the top trying to get out and shitting a bunch before he died. But anyway, I put that. <laughs> but anyway, I put that on. Uh, can't hurt me when I do those stairs because it's dark and it is dusty and it is terrible and I don't like it. But um, but that's that's what I do and I put that on and it's pretty cool. You just made me want to like go throughout my day now and just take photographs of like little things and just hashtag it. Can't hurt me. Be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, there's, there's only two ounces of steak left. Oh man, well hashtag can't hurt me. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. Have you? Have you ever seen – yeah, because he has those challenges throughout the book. Have you ever seen his Instagram profile? Do you ever go to it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually uh, – I love it when he just pops up on my screen and just starts yelling. 
That's pretty much what he does. You know, he's just like someone's driving next to him and he's just yelling to the camera. Right. About some shit, and then as it was stay hard, I'm like, all right, cool. That was a worthy 40 seconds. I'll do it. Yeah. Like I like his content. I think it's cool. I think it's valuable, but going onto his actual page is funny because it's like, I don't know how many followers, let's just say 1.5 million followers and following zero. He doesn't follow a single person. You know, he never goes on Instagram. He's like, fuck this shit. This is the stupidest thing. People out there wasting their damn lives looking at these screens, but I need to sell a book. So I'm going to go ahead and throw out some stuff to the people. Dude, it's ironic, but you know, I can appreciate that he's like recognizing his role. He's like, I don't need to look at other things, but I recognize that people are getting value from me doing my thing. Totally. It's a necessary evil. You know, he doesn't believe he, like he as like, you know, we talk about our struggles with social media the same kind of way. It's like, is this something that is helpful? And, you know, but it's a way to get deliver the message, man. So like if that is a means to an end to get it out there and help people, you kind of have to do it. Totally, totally. On the note of technology, man, I so at the beginning of every year, I like write down a list of things that I want to do, you know, just like a, it's a bucket list for the year. Listen, it was like, oh, you know, uh, get backflips back, run a subs, you know, 1630, 5K, shit like that. But on the list was also go 40 days total without electronics. And my initial plan was to like take every Tuesday, make it like technology free Tuesday. Nice. Right? It was a cool thought in my head. I ended up being kind of difficult for multiple reasons. Like the gym I worked in, it's like they wanted me to do Tuesdays and I had to check clients in on my phone. So boom, technology's right there. Uh and then there's other things like I'd, you know, I mean, it's not like using the whoop strap, blah, 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 no computer, nothing. So that so far, I haven't really taken any complete days off. Well, a couple, but uh, not a lot. Anyways, the past week and a half, I have like hardly posted on Instagram. I know you're like supposed to do five posts a week or something like that. And I was, and I was doing it. And I honestly, I didn't mind it. It's not like I was fighting it. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm just posting. Cool. Go throughout my day. Uh, you know, I had like my whoop strap on all the time. And the past week and a half, I've hardly posted and I haven't worn my whoop strap. And it's strange. And like I, worse? I like it. Nice. So, it will, the thing with the whoop strap is I wake up in the morning and I wait for it to load and it tells me my recovery. And honestly, that does set the tone to a degree for the day. Mm-hmm. So, it's been nice to not anticipate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I, we've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I'm, I fall in that trap all the time with the watch. Like I wait for it to tell me how I slept instead of just being like, I feel good or I feel bad. I'm like, I feel, I'm not sure yet. Let me see what the data says. (laughs) Um, but it's good. I mean, like it doesn't change your sleep at all. You know, like it, it, to me, I I need to take a break sometimes because I stress over it. Um, but how did you feel on for, from like taking a break on Instagram? Good. Good, man. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I kind of go in waves. I know consistency is the key uh, in so many things. And, uh, you know, uh, social media is definitely no exception. But I, I kind of just go in waves with it. Sometimes I'm super stoked. And I, I want to actually be enthusiastic when it comes to posting something. And, uh, you know, be assured that, like, when I do post something, 95% of the time I am pretty excited about it. It's like, oh, you know, it's a sweet image. Or, I, like, I have a cool thought that I want to get out. Or I uh, just want to share this. But uh, other times, you know, it's just like the pendulum swings to the other side. I'm just feeling like, oh, I don't. I really feel like I have anything uh, pressing or of extremely high value that I want to share. And I don't want to just throw up a photo for the sake of filling the, uh, you know, filling the page. Right. And it's like, 
are you doing it to appease the algorithm or are you doing it because you feel strongly behind something and you want to, to share it? Because that's why I tell you to post so often, like on Instagram or on Facebook, you're rewarded for engagement and for frequency. Mm-hmm. And, but it's really easy to be full of shit and just put out a bunch of stuff. And it's hard to call out people on or to tell what's bullshit because people have time to curate it and look at it and change it and, 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 and manipulate it how they want to. But in, in forums like this, like, you can't be full of shit. You can, but people will know. <laughs> people will know more. Or if it's if it's something like YouTube, like if you make a, if you take the time to make a YouTube video and put out content and it sucks, like there won't be any reward for that. You know, there's no reward for putting out shitty stuff on on other platforms, but there's rewards for putting out shitty stuff on social media that rewards engagement and. That's what's just hard about Instagram, dude. It's like, ugh, that's why it's hard to consume anything on there. That's why it's hard to interact on there. I just, it's fun. And I think yeah. that's about, for me, that's what I'm boiling it down to. It's like, all right, this is just fun. Everything else is like, I don't, it's not. It's not that's why Goggins it. isn't following anybody, man. Because he knows exactly. like, so much of that's happening. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that I've unfollowed because I'm just not getting, I'm not getting a lot of value from them. So it's like the people that I am following, if people if I follow you, I think I get some sort of value from you. So thank you. Cool, dude. So let's get into the listener question of the week. It comes from E. It comes from Escobar uh, underscore OCR. How to run longer distances at a sustainable pace. And this is something that with the athletes that we coach is really why they come to us in the first place. And a lot of times that ends up being a goal someone has uh, in in the beginning. It's like, oh, I just want to take my pace from say 830 to uh, like – 7:45, and that is kind of their goal and they just mean and to me i interpret this as their easy pace and they just want their their everyday kind of go out chill pace to feel better and to be a little bit faster so this is definitely a common thing that people struggle with is how to run the same pace that they're running now and just but just extending it so um you know we talked pretty extensively about nutrition and we know eat less carbs It'll, it'll sustain longer. Am I right? Uh, for the overall adaptation, yeah, yeah. For the long haul, for the long haul, that is a that is an option. That is a method. And when we have touched on this quite a bit, so if you're a first time listener and you want to go back, uh, we have a couple of of really good deep dives in on how to use a low carb option to improve your endurance. Um, the last one we call the last podcast we dropped uh, HHMC together is called Non Traditional Performance Enhancers, and there's another one titled uh, Carb Timing, Breaking OCR Plateaus, and 5K Speed. Where if you want to dive into uh, learning how to use yo- low carb to improve your endurance performance, I suggest that you listen to that. But from a training point of view, Josh, what kind of things do you think you could do to improve your sustained pace for longer outside of nutrition? Well, I guess what it really comes down to is there's – when it comes to endurance, it's it's time on feet. You're trying to move your body for an extended period of time. And ultimately, the best way to do that is, this, is to specifically run for a long period of time. I mean, there are different schools of thought when it comes to uh, like total mileage, you know, total volume, uh, you know, usually looked at on a, on a weekly scale. But for the longer the event gets, the more important it becomes to actually spend that time on the feet. And when you think about something, especially in getting into like the ultra distance, you're actually moving quite slowly. And so you can almost think of your easy runs as a 
as close to a race specific effort, depending on how long it is, especially if you're getting into like, uh, you know, 12, 24 hour event, you're mm-hmm. really just trying to move at pretty much an aerobic heart rate for probably a lot of it until you start to really get fatigued at the end, your heart starts to drift. But uh, ultimately it's going to be putting in miles at, for the most part, an easy effort because you can't sustain a very high mileage unless you're an extremely elite athlete. And that's also just a certain point in time in your training schedule. But for the most part, it's a high volume of fairly easy miles. And I think we were going to talk about math, which is your max aerobic function. Mm -hmm. And that's a tool that you can use to figure out what intensity to go at to achieve these, uh, to achieve these endurance gains. So math, your max and aerobic function, your MAF, it's, well, first off the, we talked about this in a previous podcast where it's, uh, it came from a guy uh, called Phil Maffetone, although the, the, the Maffetone and Math, they actually don't relate. But That's his, crazy. Like, they, it's they hilarious. have to relate. <laughs> right? He figured it out some way. Yeah. So, uh, so he figured out that it was pretty reliable and slightly on the conservative side, but pretty reliable to take the number 180 and subtract your age from it to get a number that correlates with a reliably aerobic effort. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 29. I subtract that from 180. I go out and do my math front at 151, cardio 151. So <laughs> if you were to, if you were to get a, a test, like a VO2 max test, where they can also test out your metabolic, uh, metabolic efficiency point, uh, and, and other, uh, things, they could tell you that that number where you're, it's funny. I almost about to say aerobic ceiling, but different people will, will see that as being different. When I say, when I use that term right now, it just means that you're starting to get into more of a, in, you're getting into an intensity where you're starting to use more glycogen and you're starting to create some byproducts and this is going to be a little more stressful on the body. So when you start to get, if you get a test that might show that that number could be for me, 155, 160, but we don't have that test immediately available. They're expensive. You have to go out and get them. So this is a safe thing to go by. So subtracting your age from 180 gives you a number. That's your math, your max aerobic function. And sticking at that number is going to give you good. It's for most people, it's going to be an intensity that allows you to move for a long amount of time without causing too much stress. Cause I'm sure a lot of people have heard of like the black hole zone, which is an area that there is a point in time where you want to spend running in that. But for the, a lot of folks who aren't aware of running metrics and like heart rate running, they just end up drifting into that for the majority of their time. And mm-hmm. uh, that's an intensity where it's not intense enough to elicit valuable adaptation, but it's not easy enough to really be sustainable. So it's, it's an imbalance of stress to benefit. So the cool thing about math is it's typically easy enough where where you're able to do it for a long period of time, but it's not so difficult that it's going to beat you up. And what's important to note about math is that it is designed for the endurance athlete. A lot of times these equations that are meant for heart rate training, they're just 
meant for the general public. So you hear the the more traditional one, which is 220 minus your age. And that is just for anybody. So if people go off of those scales, like that's not the same. So as a runner, as an endurance athlete, this has been found to be a little bit more predictable, whereas the other models are just kind of super general. It's just like the same way as we touched on last episode as your nutrition. Like most of the nutrition calculators and nutrition advice out there are meant for people who are sedentary or who need to lose a lot of weight or any, or just lose fat. And that's their primary focus. But as an endurance athlete, like you have different needs. So you need to use different formulas because you're much more active and you have different goals and your heart is going to be in better condition than someone who is just getting off the couch, going to uh, LA fitness or something like that. And then they can maybe use that to kind of gauge. So if you're going off two twenty minus range, it's, it's going to be wildly inaccurate um, because it doesn't take any consideration into the, the training that you've had. Um, which is important. And also the, that gray zone that you mentioned it is, or black hole zone, I think you called it, like I would call it like the gray zone is like the same is like interesting that you put it that way is that, yeah, you, you don't get any benefit in either direction when you run that. And that's where people kind of hit that wall of going longer by not, uh, by, by not being able to go longer because their pace is a little bit too fast for them to sustain so really it's about slowing down. And and I know you you teach your athletes about math. You also abide by math. Like that's part of your own training. Is it hard to go that slow? At first, for a lot of people, it's definitely going to be. If you already have like some strong running experience, it's probably not going to be horrendous. But uh, I've definitely dealt like with an athlete who uh, might be able to run, you know, a uh, 17 minute 5K. But when it comes to like they're they're uh, getting more into their anaerobic zones and, uh, and their higher heart rate, they they're able to move at good paces, but they have uh, aerobic deficiency. So when it comes to actually ab- abiding by their math, which might be uh, 150, 155, 140, again, it's 180 minus your age is the uh, general number we're going by. They end up having to slow down to like a 10 minute mile, which yeah, yeah. for them for sure frustrating. It's super frustrating. Uh, that's why it's cool to use other other methods of training with math. It could be a little bit easier, like say uh, like a tire dra- a pull or a uh, or a bike ride. But uh, but yeah, when it comes to running, sometimes you're gonna have to you're gonna have to slow down, and that's all right. I I mean, so I'm going up a hill sometimes at one and a half miles an hour, whether it's a, a hike or like those tiny little jogging run steps. And yeah. this is because when you are constantly pounding at it, like say person who can run um 17 flat and during their 17 flat they're at 180 right and then maybe on their 180 beats per minute and maybe on the training runs they're at 168 right like not a big discrepancy between the two one 170 right like between like what essentially would be like their max heart rate and what their easy run would be that means like you're never really quite getting that recovery so like it can put you in that risk of overtraining which then these tools that we talked about before would be very helpful to see like how you're, you are adapting how, what kind of range you have within your heart rate at rest and at a harder pace. So that's kind of where, and then you bump up against a ceiling because you'll never quite recover. And like, yeah, you're running 17 now, which is fast. And that's fast for most people. Most people would be happy be like, screw it, man. Like if I'm at 17 minutes for my 5k, like I'm good, but there's always more you can go. And so doing something like math is being able to take steps backwards so that you can move forward. So you can get a little bit more recovery and, and you could help yourself out. Um, 
and that's it's it's a hard hard conversation i don't necessarily go off of math i don't trust technology enough for that so i really kind of try to hold people to their their paces um to make sure that you're actually you're a really good example i'm glad you brought that up because uh you know i see your numbers i see your strava i told you the other day i'm like damn you and your incredibly low heart rate you know you got your uh, like 120 beats while you're running a sub seven minute mile Mm -hmm. so math is is fantastic for a lot of people but then there's something to take into consideration uh, it's referred to as like the 10% rule. And that is that when your, uh, when your lactate threshold pace, we're going to go by pace here is within 10% of your aerobic pace, your math pace. That means that you have, uh, you have a very strong aerobic system. And mm-hmm. what ends up happening is the pace that you are moving at math is now fast enough. You're moving strong and fast enough where, although it's not cardiovascularly highly demanding, it is a little bit stressful on your skeletal muscular system. So maybe right. you were running, uh, maybe you were running 10 minute miles before when adhering to math. And now several months have gone by, you're, uh, you're closer to eight or maybe even a little bit better. So if you're going on a long run, maybe for you, that's, uh, that's starting to get to be a little stressful muscularly. You're starting to feel your legs are getting tired. And you can do that 10% rule where you do a lactate threshold uh, test and see how that pace uh, compares to your uh, your math pace. So if you see that you're within that 10%, it's at that point that you want to start taking those easy runs even easier. And Rich, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're taking, you don't need to go to math. That's, that's too fast. As far as the volume you're putting in overall, that'd be too much stressful, too much stress. So you're, even though your cardiovascular system could handle it, uh, likely it just be, it could very well be too much for your, all your systems, your body. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I was speaking before about how I deliver programming and coaching and pacing is more based on, on, on pace to the athletes I coach. But yeah, I did want to ask, I mentioned that because yes, if I was to run my math pace would be 146. And I don't know if it's just from, I mean, I've been training for endurance for since I was 15, so like 19 years now. Right. And I don't know if it's just phenomenal, huge aerobic base, or if like genetically there's something there, but yeah, like I could, I like yesterday I ran exactly at 10 miles at seven minute pace. My, and like a lot of it was at like 115, <laughs> right? So like if I was to run 146, I would be hammering. And, and yesterday I was a recovery day and I felt my, my body didn't feel awesome, but I was able to just kind of maintain and keep it within that, that structured zone. Um, you mentioned a lactic threshold uh, test and ways that I've delivered this is kind of setting people at on like a treadmill and I believe Scott Johnson and um, in, in the uphill athlete test out this way as well, where it's like 40 minutes at a pace where your heart rate is sustained. And if you go up a little bit in pace, your heart rate like jumps or if you go down, it jumps. So being able to kind of find exactly where that heart rate can just sit and maintain because ideally, you're, ideally, you're like threshold should be, should be a pace you should be able to hold for about an hour. Um, so that could be any that could be that's a huge range for people. It could be, that could be their 10 K that could be their 10 mile. That could be for the fastest. That could be their half marathon. Right. Um, so how would you recommend people find that like threshold test? Like what's a test that you would do? Was I kind of on, on around that where you kind of sit at a pace for a long time and monitor your heart rate the entire time? Precisely that. Uh, and I mean, it depends on the person you're dealing with right off the bat. The individual is already fairly fit. Uh, they have a little something under their belt. I'd have them go for like a full 60 minutes. And if the person is less fit and that'd be a little bit stressful and there would really be a falling off of their physical ability 
to maintain motion, then closer to 30 minutes, you know, do a, do a warm up and mm-hmm. then go for 30 minutes. And in the case of 30 minutes, it becomes a little more subjective where I'd say, you know, go at a pace that you can imagine holding for a full hour. And then the, taking the, uh, the heart rate average of that period in time. And then for, again, for the more fit people, you do a 15 minute warm up. Head them out for 45 minutes. Treadmill is awesome because, uh, yeah, it's super consistent. Very cold. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to do like a 3 to 5% incline, you know, for a little less impact. Uh, it tends to get the heart rate up a little bit quicker. And, uh, well, yeah, just less impact. You don't have to end up going quite as fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that would be the concern for me doing an hour-long test. Uh, yeah, that would suck. <laughs> that would just be, you know, a, a 10-mile race essentially. Um, which I don't want to do on like a testing day, <laughs> but there's also some math tests that I've um, given in the past where it would be running at your math uh, heart rate for say five miles and seeing what, how the pace changes, like making sure that heart rate is in the same spot and just finding a pace where it is. So like, say like you, you mentioned, you start at 10 minute, 10 minute pace, and then maybe two months later, you're at the same exact heart rate, but you're eight minute pace. Right. So that's a way to show that you're you're able to run faster at that same type of heart rate. Um, have you done things like that as well? Is that some does that in like your own training or in the people that you yep. coach? I, I use that. And I, I also uh, have clients perform that. So I'll have them do a one mile warm up uh, where they're like 10 to 15 beats below math just to get the systems turned on. Because if I just send them like right into math, uh, they'll end up going out a little too hot. You know, it's like you go out in a race and you feel so great for like the first 400 meters or 800. And then things start to. <laughs> get get cooking with the yeah, heart. Yeah, it t- so, takes a minute for that aerobic system to, to completely come online. So sending somebody out the door, like it'll jump real hot real, real quick and it'll be a hard time to get people back into where they belong. Yeah, yeah. So I'll do I'll do uh, five miles, but that first mile is going to be 10, 15 beats below math. And then I'll take the, uh, the average pace of the next four miles. Because yeah, typically there will be a drop off. And that's actually, that is a, a good indicator for for endurance to see how they actually drop off or how sustained they're able to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a nice test because it is, it, it essentially would be an easy run, right? It, it really shouldn't, is. It shouldn't yeah, you can be do anything. it all the time. <laughs> and, and structurally you'll probably, I don't know. I'm actually not sure how this would work. If you would, would you adapt quicker through your skeletal system or through your aerobic system? Like what would be developed first because i'm sure it's not the same i'm sure they don't stay in line with each other like why would they um but i would imagine their aerobic system would lag behind their muscular system that's a very that's actually a very good question uh i don't really know what the timeline looks like uh as far as uh the building of the the capillary beds or the increase in you know like left ventricular mass uh, and like overall cardiac output compared to uh, yeah, the increase in power output. I mean, something like like math running should absolutely absolutely be done in marriage with like higher intensities because that's where the real skeletal muscle benefits come from as far as like total power output and like running economy goes. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, mm, maybe we'll look into it and we'll re- report back because uh... what we do know <laughs> is that overall performance seems to improve very uh, reliably. Totally. Totally. So this method, it is a very interesting method. And right now is actually an awesome time because it is one that takes patience. Um, and I think you would see good, good results from it. Um, but if you have something and you were looking for results in, in the immediate future, it's not great. And like I said, I don't, 
I don't love it. I don't, uh, I don't think it is, um, like I said, the technology is not that reliable for me to interpret from an, an athlete who is using it. So, but if you are someone who's dialed in and, and is going to, uh, make sure they have the best tech and make sure that they are interpreting the data and will take that time and spend that time looking at it and, and abiding by it, then this is a good method. I think that like you will be able to find good value from it. Um, but if you're not like, I think doing like a threshold test and then just really, it could be a threshold test, like a, a straight up race and then setting your pace intervals as to, and, and figuring out what an easy pace is. So you're able to maintain it for a longer time um, is, a, is a bit of an easier way to go and using any type of pace calculator that you find online. If they kind of give you a big, broad range and just really kind of slowing things down and like progressing as you go forward and, and really kind of adding in miles as you move uh, throughout the weeks. Um, I found a pretty safe bet is that 10% rule where you're just adding 10% of your miles uh, for from your previous week to your next week. And that allows you to kind of slowly build volume. So I think that's another part of this is adding in uh, some standard progression so that you're able to build at a slower pace for a longer period of time, instead of just trying to bang at the door and just really hit it hard every single, every single workout. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. If you're only doing math once a week, you are probably not going to see like any results. It's, oh, it's, no. it's all about the consistency. Yeah. If you're, if you are doing your math, uh, at least a few times a week, I mean, what do you think, Rich, if you're running, uh, say the average person out there is maybe putting in four or five hours on feet, uh, you know, not a crap load, but enough. What would you what would you uh, prescribe as far as the split between uh, aerobic and uh, intensity to see to see some good results like consistent results? So five hours and say that's like six runs a week, maybe right? Um, yeah, because if they're running an hour every day, I mean maybe <sighs> that that again that eighty twenty split's pretty fair. Um, if someone's new, I would only probably have them do one piece of intensity work that week. Um, and probably not going outside of like 20 minutes of intensity for five hours. I would say just kind of off the cuff. Um, so most of it should be spent pretty easy. What were you, what would you think? Yeah. Well, I think that was important to say like, yeah, off the cuff, if you're just starting out, that's, that sounds super duper reasonable. Uh, I think I'd say the same thing, just throwing on, uh, striders, at the, at the end of your math runs, uh, get that running economy in. I know what that means. Yeah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and that's, that, that was that was something else that I, I did want to mention is you can get some pretty immediate results on those easy runs, on the pace of those easy runs, well, by doing uh, like work on your economy. So doing strides at the end of your run or doing hill strides, like doing those hill sprints even, like just going out. Um, and this is something I have almost everybody do is going out and finding a, a sharp hill and doing 10 to 15 second sprints, like almost all out, you know, you mentioned it's a little bit lower on the impact. You're able to work on producing power and the speed that you can run in is going to translate to this, like the, your top end speed will translate to your easy pace as well, just based on efficiency and how well you move in your motor control. And all those things do play a factor. So if you're not doing like short sprints or short strides, errs, then that's an easy way to, to see some pretty good results and, and, and speed work in general will help that low end pace as well. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I wonder how much genetics actually end up playing a role as far as what style of training 
will produce the greatest results. You know, some people do a little bit better with more intensity. Some people do better with more aerobic, easy stuff. But across the board, I've seen pretty good results with math and actually pretty quickly too. Like, uh, you know, the difference from perhaps a nine minute mile down to an eight thirty mile for the, for the four miles over the course of a month and a half. And that's fantastic. That's really strong results. Mm-hmm. Um, as people, that is a goal that people have a lot. It's like, oh, I just want my pace to go from nine to eight thirty. Like that would be a goal that people have. Um, and I think it it does take time. It does. It is worth the effort and worth learning about, or worth having someone help you with to set up these kind of parameters around what your heart rate should be and around what um, like the volume that you should take on at that heart rate to help you improve your overall pace for, for a longer time. And then when you start to get dialed in with that type of thing, it is only going to help for race day and, and race situations and, and taking the data from say your heart rate and how that typically would make you feel during your runs. And, and that's one way that I use my heart rate is just by taking it, how I normally feel on a harder effort and bringing that into my race. It's like, okay, well here I usually feel this way when my heart rate is at 150. So I know I'm okay. Or if I'm putting in a spot, it's like, okay, like this is a little high, but we can sustain this because we've been here before. Um, Do you use heart rate during races? I have, a, I have my watch. Yeah. Um, I, re- I don't really rely on it in any way. Like, and usually, usually um, there were, I ran, I've only run two marathons. I did one marathon and it was, I was all by myself. There was like literally a hundred people at the starting line. It was in mid March it was like fucking 26 degrees at the start. And the race director was literally like, ready, go. And like everybody just started. So I, was by, I was by myself like literally the entire time. And I had this idea of where my heart rate should be. And at the 10, at 10 K, my heart rate was like 20 beats higher than um, I had anticipated being. And I was like, I'm going to keep running at this pace. <laughs> like this doesn't matter. This doesn't mean anything. Um, Interesting. So I, I, I kind of sustained it all the way through. Yeah, no, and I held, and I was like, no, I know how I feel. Like, I, I, I am not, I am not what this is saying I am. And if it is, it is some sort of uh, error, like race day error or something. I didn't, and I just didn't interpret it. Do, do you You're follow right? it? Not during races. I just, I, it's one more thing to to look at. I mean, if I was doing like an Ironman or something really, really long, uh, I might consider it. But I mean, even that said, I didn't, I didn't use it at like world's toughest. But that was probably just because my my battery wouldn't have lasted. Right. Uh, but I probably, uh, now with the new watch that I have, uh, it has a good battery. So I'll, if I do another 24-hour race, when I do another 24 hours, when? I'll, I'll probably use it. Yeah, because, again, it's like if I'm, if I'm going out of the gate and, like, five hours into the race, I've been at an average of, like, 165 beats per minute. Like, oh, this that's way too hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I think that it definitely has a use. But man, when things are chaotic and you're like in a sprint or a super or something like a sparring race, I think it's just a distraction. It's too much. No use. And you're yo-yoing way too much. Yeah. And there's, there's a place to use technology as uh, an indicator of your effort. Um, But I don't think races are that races are those points where you need to push beyond what you are physically comfortable with to find where you can potentially go. And if you are constantly restrained by your watch or your power meter or whatever, you're never going to find those places. And this is kind of a beef I have with triathletes who are just so techie. They're like, Nope, this is what it has to be. And this will be the result. It's like, well, then why even race? Like, why are you even doing this? Like get out there and just find out. Um, 
So one thing I do use it for obstacle course racing is just to keep myself honest. If I'm going up a hill and I see my heart rate isn't that high, I'm like, you're fine. Go faster. Like I I don't use it, but if it's like, if it's like 200, I'm like, okay, here we are. (laughs) I'm not like, Hey, you better chill. I'm like, all right, we got to go. I did a, I did an uphill trial. Uh, yeah, I think I told you about that. There's like a, a hill by me that's like 1,400 feet of gain. It's like 2.1 miles. So I went out to hit that. And I I wore my heart rate monitor and I looked at it while I was doing it. And it was too high. It was like 172. I'm like, that's uh, – and I just looked away. I'm like, no, no, no. That's it's – a, it's, a, that was, it's picking up my cadence. Because like based on what I should have been doing, I should have been like 168. Uh-huh. You know, so I mean, yeah. there's like a little discrepancy and your heart rate changes from time to time a little bit, but like sometimes those numbers can, uh, can play. Now, if it was the other way, if it was like 150, then I would have been like, I need to kick it up a gear. Even I if I was go. already dying. Right. So, right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And, and like a chest strap is always going to be better than a wrist, um, a wrist monitor, but the wrist monitors are just in literally every watch now. So it, I find it hard to justify buying a heart rate, uh, a chest strap, especially when I'm only going to use it for data that is just either self-affirming or um, that I'm going to ignore. So uh, do you use use the wrist one? Or do you have I, uh, I used the wrist one like a couple of years ago and it was just, yeah, it was super unreliable. Like if it was, Wildly below, inaccurate. If it was below 40 degrees out, just like the amount of blood, you know, because blood goes to your torso. It doesn't want to like hang out in your, in your wrist while you're running. It's got other right. places to go. So like it ends up picking up cadence. It wasn't that great. I, the watch I have now, the Cinto, it has a, a chest drop that's super accurate and, uh, but I ended up, I ended up losing that as I losing from time to time. So I picked up a, uh, I picked up a bicep strap. Cause also like the, the chest straps, you know, they can be kind of bothersome. They feel like they're kind of restrictive. Yeah. I just like to feel, I like to feel free. So, uh, so I got this sweet armband, which is fairly accurate. It's like one of those things where you have to warm up a little bit for it and get like the blood needs to really get flowing. But, uh. But yeah, like 10 minutes into a run, it's pretty accurate from there on out. It hasn't really picked up cadence. I've used an armband one too. What is it, like Scochi or something? What is it called? Is it, is it a oh, I think I saw one that was like, that. Wahoo. I got a Polar just because Polar's got history. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one I, the, I got that a couple years ago because it was the first one I saw that was actually like that. Um, and I liked it. There was some – it was getting in the way of some training I was doing. Um, I think anything that was just upper body intensive for OCR, like if I had any type of like arm pump going, it would just become a little bit uncomfortable. Um, or if I'm doing something like burpees or monkey bars or something, like it would just be annoying. And that is kind of weird. Then, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you have a reliable, if you want to really dive into numbers and practice this type of discipline when it comes to your heart rate, uh, prepare to slow down considerably. And you should slow down either way. Like if you, if that's something you have, if you're like, if I get to five miles and then I'm just dead. It's like, you're probably running too fast. Totally. No matter what. Yeah. 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 Right. So like, listen, like if you're, if you can run slower, it's can still like I, it, every run can be a quality run. Like if you can slow down and stop exerting yourself, like so, so muscularly and just getting fatigued, like slow down and think, okay, how are my feet moving? How are my arms moving? How's my breathing? And there's so much value in tuning into those little aspects of running. And that's totally going to apply to when you start moving at a higher speed. Cause you'll, if you can focus on all of those things, cause if you're, if you're working hard and you're like breathing heavy and you're tired, it's going to be really hard to focus on that shit. So mm-hmm. slow down, focus on the little components and build those habits. And then you'll be able to carry those into the more intense efforts and they'll probably have a better result. So run better, faster. That's such a great way that's to put it. 
Yeah. And make everyone a quality run. Like everyone has a purpose and giving yourself those, those um, cues and those things to focus on, make it that way. And even if it is like, just focus on heart rate for 10 minutes and then take a break. And then another, another 10 minutes, it, it gives you focus for that run instead of just like going out and just pounding pavement, thinking about racing and just hitting it as hard as you can, uh, having purpose behind each workout and really uh, like putting data points on them or just direction to them. Like every run, it doesn't just have to be like six miles, 10 miles, four miles. It should be, you know, six miles at this heart rate or work on breathing through your nose for a minute or work on your cadence for your running cadence for 10 by one minute or having some sort of purpose. I, I really like that. That's a really smart way to kind of go about what go about it and a great way that you can improve your, your skills in other aspects than just running. Yeah. I guess listeners can think of it as it's not all about running faster that'll end up happening but like run better run just better. run just run better yeah hashtag i like it run better hashtag run better cool and also get stronger so this next thing that we want to talk about is ways that you can find kind of strength in like your everyday. uh and i think this is also a really great topic for right now because a lot of us are in situations where we don't have a gym and we need to find ways outside of what our normal, you know, barbell routine might be or a kettlebell routine. And just, we, we still want to stay strong. So we should, dude, I bought a pull-up bar. I finally bit the, bit the bullet, bought a pull-up bar. I got one of those, the ones that uh, go in your doorway, but it's by Fitbar, who is, you know, kind of like a, uh, another company like force five or platinum rig. And it is so sick, but it's really big and it doesn't fit in any of my door, but it doesn't fit in any oh. of my doors. I'm so upset. It was like, it's like nice. It was like expensive. It was like a hundred bucks, 120 bucks. And yeah, I was like pumped about it and it just doesn't work. I'm so upset. Shit, man. I saw, uh, I think I saw Lindsay Webster post about like these ones that clip over the door frame and they have like rotating handles. It does look like something more that you would expect from like force five, but it's a different company. Uh, but yeah, it's just like this spring loaded clip that goes over the trim. This one, this one is cool because it clips into the door, but the, the bar that you pull yourself up on is somehow affixed higher than the door frame itself. So you can get more extension and like, you can reach almost all the way up without having, cause the ones that are underneath the door, you know, you end up doing all like L or like tuck knee tucked pull-ups, but this one was up and it was big and I was like, sweet. And I had those grips from force five that haven't really, that haven't used at all. Um, Cause I don't know why, why I bought them. <laughs> I was like, cool. They have a sale. I'm buying them. Like they're great. The quality, but um, I haven't used them. So I was like, sweet. I'm going to use these and uh, nope. So um, what are some other ways that now that we are, are struggling to find our typical strength routines that, you know, we can find strength in everyday training, everyday life. Man, you know, it's uh, we're all in like these different positions. Like, so you're in an apartment in a city. Uh, you know, I'm out on, uh, I'm out on farmland. So the opportunities are quite different. So I, the first thing I can really think about is like, look around for things to do. I guess the simplest, one of the simplest things that I employed in, uh, in the past, I don't do it quite as much as I used to, to be totally honest with everyone, but like, and it's something that I, you know, I feel like I should start picking up more of again. And that is like, I'd be washing dishes on one leg. I'd be standing at the computer on one leg. I would just mm. be doing like single leg balance for like a total of, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes a day. But like, it, that's the thing is it all adds up. That kind of thing adds up a lot. You yeah. Know, and then just doing like hitting the pull-up bar. 
Absolutely. And just finding those moments where you can work that into your actual life and, and making a point to do that. There is a, a book, I think, by, by uh, um, BJ Fogg. I forget what the actual book is called, but he's one of those writers. On I know. Fogg. BJ Fogg. <laughs> he, he writes a, a, a book about habits. He's kind of like a James Clear or uh, Charles Duhigg, but he had this thing where he wanted to do push-ups every day uh, and, and, and improve his, the amount of push-ups that he could do. So he set a cue as to when he would do those. So every time he would go to the bathroom, as soon as he was done going to the bathroom, he would do 10 push-ups. So he knew that he had ways to work in strength training uh, without being at the gym, and it just became written into his his routine so that he knew – Every time he went to the bathroom, he's like, okay, now I do push-ups. And the routine of things, and I've, I've, I've done the same type of thing with my own training, and I have like a kettlebell around um, and just doing push-ups, doing squats, doing lunges every time I stand up. So we mentioned before, you've been sitting a lot. So every time I stand up to do anything, it's like, okay, I go grab the kettlebell, I do five to 10 swings, or I'll, I, I switch day to day, I'll do, I'll be like upper body focused one day, and then I'll do like just one day and then do like planks one day. So every day is something a little bit different as to what it is that I'm going to be doing. Um, and you, you mentioned like doing some work kind of like outside of the house, right. And like trying to find strength in your actual work. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, so I'm kind of, kind of blessed with like my situation right now because I have the, the uh, resources outside and the type of tasks that exist on this farm include like chopping wood, you know, uh, yeah. building a building a berry garden, like carrying posts around, swinging an axe, uh, uh, gardening stuff. Although Monica is doing the, the bulk work of that. Bless her. I just do like, I just build shit and then she can plant and do all the more delicate things. Although yeah. she installed the bed and did a damn good job at it. The old hunter, hunter gatherer model. Indubitably. indubitably <laughs> indeed. Yeah. They're just, they're just tasks like all over. Like, you know, the classic man, you go to the grocery store, how many, uh, I'm making one trip, one trip, holding on to everything. Yeah, totally. And this is a, a style of training that has been called greasing the grooves. And if you've ever come across the strength conditioning coach, Pavel Tetsulin, who is kind of like the uh, godfather of the kettlebell who brought it to the, the United States. He's a couple of good books uh, to read up on those things that are really kind of just simple, straightforward ways to get stronger. That I'm really cuts feeling out his all- new book, the, uh, the Quick and the Dead. I haven't seen. I haven't read. What's that? What's the the, the concept on that? Well, he does the he does this thing where he's each book he'll like pick two moves and that's like his flavor of the month sort of thing. I mean, they're all good, but he does he does kind of do the thing where he's like, no, these are the moves that we should have been doing all along. He's rushing, by the way. That's why. Yeah, yeah. Talks like that. Good. When uh, you read when you read the book, it like <laughs> makes it so you say it in your head. In totally. As, that's exactly how it should be done. I love that. But yeah, the quick and the dead, he's, uh, he's just focusing on like a push and a pull movement and you're doing mm. it. Uh, actually it kind of reminded me of, uh, like your podcast with Matt Littick, where it's really like, it's kind of like velocity training. You're doing like solid rests, uh, but you're going back and forth between, uh, movements. So it's like, if you pick a two moves, push and pull, if you're doing 60 seconds between them, then that's two minutes of rest by the time you come back around to the push or the pull movement. Right. So it's, and you're doing 10 reps. So they're like super high quality, very quickly done. And, uh, and you pretty much just do a few sets of it and you leave it before you're exhausted. So it's like maximum muscle fiber recruitment at like high, you know, high velocity and which is great, like for your brain as well, doing movements very quickly. There's more like neuromuscular engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you can also get that from doing like extremely heavy stuff, but this is a slightly less stressful way to do it. Uh, and it'll be more under the terms of like power rather than like maximal strength. But, uh, but yeah. 
ultimately it's just a, a, a good way to, as, as he, he says, grease the groove. You're not beating yourself up, but you're getting extremely high quality reps that uh, are very uh, applicable to sport as far as like moving at velocity. 100%. And that's something that he is very well known for is not pushing into failure. And he has a kind of cool quote that's like, if you're pushing, I'm paraphrasing here, where it's like, if you push into failure, you're training yourself to fail. Whereas you're actually contracting weaker because you got to a point where you're so exhausted that you can't fully contract the muscle fiber. And the idea of greasing the grooves is that, yes, you are creating that uh, neurological pathway to make lifting easier because there is like a coordination and uh, essentially kind of he said greasing the groove. So you can kind of groove these pathways into your system so that it becomes easier to lift without needing to build more muscle fiber. Um, so it's essentially just kind of a way to practice lifting more or less. And, and when you're doing things like five or 10 quality reps, instead of pushing it into 15 or 20 where you can't do anymore, it leaves you with a sense of being a little bit more fresh and doing things sporadically throughout the day will allow you to continue to feel fresh, but it'll also allow you to accumulate volume and practice a little bit more. It'd be like shooting foul shots all, all day. And like that we all can agree is a skill that you need motor control skill for. So like every time you saw your, your, basketball hoop you grab your basketball and you shoot five foul shots it would be the same thing but with a pull-up bar so every time you walk past the pull-up bar doing two or three pull-ups yeah um, i mean all all in all at the end of the day if you're breaking things up if you're just like doing a set of pull-ups at uh you know like 8 a.m and then maybe you hit it again at 9 a.m and then again at like 11 or around lunch and blah blah blah, blah. and you know like the rest are totally random they almost don't even matter but if you're because you're going to be getting probably at least 10 minutes minimum of rest if you're doing it that style anyways, which is a lot of rest. So every time you touch the bar, whether or, or the ground, you know, whether you're doing like squat jumps, push-ups, pull-ups, you know, those are like the classics right there. You're going to be hitting each one of them like super fresh, like with a lot of quality. Mm-hmm. So but overall volume for the day is probably going to be higher and you'll feel like you spent less time overall. because it's Right. Up. Yeah, it's a way to add add volume in a sustainable way. It'd be like adding doubles to your runs instead of doing a, a ten mile run, doing a five in the morning and a five in the evening. That is easy easier. Like I think I don't think it's even arguable. It's like that's easier to do than doing a ten mile run. Um, and improving the quality of each rep, you know, making each rep great, you know, and this is specifically for strength training. Uh, I believe there is literature and a lot of looking uh, and a lot of. Um, data that backs the best way to add muscle as opposed to adding strength. And I think, I think muscle needs to be kind of trained a little bit more with shorter with kind of rest and, and adding total volume in one shot where this is going to just help the way you move, help your overall strength, which for runners and OCR athletes, as we've talked about many times before is better. It's just better to not have that extra muscle. So if you can grease these grooves and learn how to do different movements, uh, such as pull-ups or push-ups, without adding that extra stress, is almost a no brainer. And especially cause we're home now, like if you're in the office and like you're doing pushups, like that's weird, but if you're at home, you can do it all the time. You could do it every hour. You can do it every 90 minutes. You could do something different every 30 minutes, you know? Uh, yeah. I bet we probably do more too. I'm like, I could, I could do more. I could, I could do my morning calisthenics. I'm like, I gotta start standing on one leg again. I will do this thing where I'll like, I'll hold my phone and I'll hold it up in front of my face. So I have to like use my shoulders and like get good posture I'm trying to avoid like this shit right here. Right yeah. Yeah. Texting. You know? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's a way to 
continue to do strength training without feeling exhausted. So again, it, it, you could imagine that you would feel better running one mile 10 times throughout the day than 10 miles at, at, at one shot. Like you wouldn't feel as exhausted to go back and, and running again after you've already run 10 miles. You'd be like, I, I'm done for the day. But when you do 10 squats with a kettlebell, all, like an offset kettlebell squat, and then you just put it down and you come back two hours later, it's like you never did those squats at all. Like you won't even feel like you did them. Yeah. I mean, it's not about running, man. It's like, why was the reason we should run so frequently instead of just running like 70 miles in one shot? It's like the way the body responds to it all in all is better for longevity and like holding on to the actual skill of it. And that's kind of the argument. That's always like the best place when going back to the first question, how to get better at sustained longer paces. Usually it's adding frequency, <laughs> like running more, you know, and, and, and it's not always, uh, and I would always go frequency before total volume. If you're running four days a week, I wouldn't just add a mile to each day. I would add four miles to Wednesday or whatever day you, you weren't running just to add that frequency, because that is just how we are going to, you know, again, have those grooves greased a little bit easier, and a little bit better. Um, so what are some things that you would recommend for someone doing like obstacle course racing? Like what kind of things should they be doing to help, uh, that they could be doing at home? Like what movements specifically would you recommend? Well, the three, like those big three, right. The, the push pull and the like squat movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are just so easy. And they're, uh, from refer to like their universal movements. They apply to a lot of other things. You know, if you get good at a push up and you have good form there, that, you know, it's going to, uh, actually instill mechanics that are going to help you when you're in an upright position too, because you're in a hollow hold, right? You're in a plank. That's good for your hips. That's going to be good when you're standing upright. You can do the same exact thing while you're doing uh, your pull-ups. You can get a nice hollow hold going. Uh, some And those will also help, help you with your squat and to stabilize your pelvis while you're going through the squatting motion. So they all kind of work work together in a sense and, uh, and really cover the basis of what you're going to end up experiencing in an obstacle course race. Now you can get like more specific with the lunges, uh, over a squat. I think like you totally should put those squats in there or throw lunges in there. But, uh, but I think squats are pretty money. And actually I tried something different this morning cause I listened to, uh, your Cruise Elite podcast, which mm. I think Taylor, yeah, Taylor Cruz, that was awesome. Go back and listen to that. Uh, yeah, that's smashed. Yeah, dude. I, so I've been doing like his mobility and I decided to add some of the more of the uh, vestibular challenge to oh, my calisthenics yeah? uh, this morning. So I did my squats. I did them up on my tiptoes for a little less uh, stability and I was doing head turns as I was doing them, dude. And I was like, whoa, get a little wobbly, but I liked it. And it was like the shifting of the eye focus, the, the movement of the head. And that was a fun challenge. So I the movement of the head is like really cool. Like, so doing like, even like doing a, like something I've been doing is some, similar, like I do a squat and then when I come up, I come onto one leg and then I tw- shake my head back and forth to help work on that balance at the same time. Um, because like, that's a real good way to get bang for your buck is cause I mean like body weight squat. Yeah. It's going to help with the mechanics. It's going to help, you know, grease those grooves and those movement patterns, but the balance of things is really what's going to be helpful. Yeah. So just doing, yeah. On your toes, shaking your head during squats, moving up and down. And just working on that balance, I think, is a really good call. Yeah, yeah. But to, like, sell people on the squats, like, it's going to be really good for, uh, like, your uh, your ankle mobility, your hip mobility. Hi, Monica. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going into the meat freezer. Oh, get some goodies for dinner. Uh, yeah, for, like, through the squat, it's good for mobility because you end up mobilizing your, your hips. You're getting your hips down. You get to kind of open them up. Uh, you're getting, like, you're stretching your glute, your back, your your hamstrings. And, uh, yeah, end up down in your ankles. So it's, uh, it's a mobility slash strength movement all in one. hundred percent. Yeah. The, and holding that squat is, 
uh, just going down and holding it and, and getting into that good, strong position is something that every runner can really benefit from because like you said, ankles, calves, and like shins end up being like super tight. So people need to spend time down there and doing it frequently throughout the day is huge. And you also mentioned the pull. And I think this one would be obvious for uh, OCR athletes who do need to pull themselves over, uh, over walls and to do monkey bars and to do rings, like doing the pull-ups is huge. And that's, and I think this one's great too, because sometimes people might not be able to do more than five and then their second set is probably three. But if you do like one, like 15 times a day, <laughs> throughout the day, totally, you'll, exactly. you'll amass way more volume and you'll be, you'll, you'll have way less stress so that you don't, work to failure and that you're not setting yourself up and that you're not exhausting yourself to the point where you can't do that work anymore. So I think if you have a pull-up bar, if you have anything like doing something like that, or even doing like, um, single hand switches or like shoulder taps or something like that while hanging from a bar, I think would be a really cool way to add in some race specific things for, for training. Yeah, dude, no doubt about that. Another, I like to do, I'll, I'll hold uh, like trash or laundry. I'll hold the bucket or like the bin out in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> far away from my body. So it's like, so it kind of stresses out my lower back and whatnot. Dude, there's so many opportunities. Like how can I make this slightly more challenging instead of easier? Like intentionally make literally any task slightly more difficult. Whether it's like you're carrying something, hold it in a couple of fingers instead of like your whole hand and like hold it away from your body. Try to stay nice and upright, you know? Yeah, I know. It seems like obsessive, but like it's smart. It's kind like of a it's game. Just, right? It's a game, right? Like how can I make myself better at doing this thing that I'm doing now? And I always try to make things a little bit more grip intensive. I'll hold them like in a less advantageous way. If that is grocery bags or something like that, like having like put more stress on, um, on my grip, on my hands, on my forearms, on my traps, um, are you familiar? Do you know who Rob Orlando is? No, no, I don't. Tell me about him. He's like an he's like an OG CrossFit guy. He was like strong for CrossFit before CrossFitters got like really freaking strong. So he's like a power. He's like a strongman who got into CrossFit. So he was like the stronger CrossFit guy back in the day. Um, but he did this thing called uh, a cold bar, where he would load up a barbell. So if you're at home and you have a gym or you have a barbell at home. Uh, he would load up a barbell with a weight that he knew he could do no matter what. So no matter what it would be. So say deadlift, for example, put on 135 pounds. Like, you know, you could deadlift 135 pounds at any given time of the day. Like probably when you wake up first thing in the morning, you could walk over with proper form and do it. He would just put the bar and every time he'd walk past it, he would do one rep. So he would essentially do the same thing as grease in the grooves, only with actual tools there and with a little bit heavier weight. And he got like tremendous gains on, on, I think he was actually doing bench press. So he had it set up and every time he go past that, I do one rep on the, on the bench press. And he claimed to have like 50% gains in his, in his strength. And for a guy who's already strong. And like, I did some reading up on it and following, you know, some anecdotal stuff and people found that to be really beneficial as well. But for the same reason, just like, cause it's, they're just doing one thing a bunch of times and just really reinforcing those movement patterns so that they are familiar with it when it comes time to put on, big weight they're already know how to be strong and do that movement totally man yeah it just becomes second nature you are so competent at it it just feels as natural as anything could possibly feel and i i would actually say for for the runner one thing that when we talk about running form you know we talk about cadence right and like making your cadence right around 180 is is been that proven spot where most people are going to land 
with their foot underneath their hips if their cadence is a right around 180, right? So it's just kind of like an easy thing to kind of throw out and blanket to people. But for people to get to that cadence, it takes a bit more of like glute and hamstring activation and kind of like pulling that foot underneath your butt and really kind of shortening that stride. So that can be something you could do all day. Like just like standing, like you said, doing dishes, like to, like focusing on firing that hamstring to pull that foot underneath your butt. Yeah, you look like a flamingo. Right. You know, or you're like exactly. doing a poker method at the, uh, at the sink, yeah. 100%. And that's something like that, you know, people, when we practice, when we put that in practice, I need them to do smaller chunks of it because it ends up being more of a, a, a practice in mindfulness where it's like, okay, you're going to do one minute of – running while using a hamstring to pull your foot under your butt and then just relax for a while. And then we'll just continue to kind of do intervals with, with pulling with your hamstring. But if you can do it all day and really help reinforce those patterns, it'll be easier for when you're out on that run. So you can really engage in your hamstring and know how that foot feels underneath your butt. So it's not as foreign when you're out there on the run. And then instead of spending 10 minutes throughout your 40 minute run doing it, you're doing it all day. So it could be a really cool thing just to do, put into practice, just to kind of keep your running form in, in a good spot. And yeah, one, one thing you mentioned, you know, you doing like some actual work. One thing I was thinking about doing, I won't do it, but uh, this is like actually getting a job, like with movers, <laughs> like just do good, yeah. like going in and, oh. and, and, and being a mover for like one day a week. It's like, Hey, do you guys need like a sub every once in a while? Like yeah. I'll do it just cause I'm trying to get like real life strong. <laughs> Dude, that's what's up. Yeah, I actually, uh, I, so I've worked like a bunch of different jobs in my life and like, I did general contracting and, uh, you know, I'd, like split a bunch of wood and maybe like I'll split wood for two weeks straight and then I'll go into a job where I'm like, I'm digging a trench for a line to a house and then, uh, uh, you know, well, stuff like that, you know, moving wherever else, dude, that, that was honestly, that was the best. Cause again, it was like super high volume. There would be like rests between it. There's different tasks where you're working different muscle groups and like it's super organic where you have to kind of see the situation and adapt to it. It's not like a strict barbell movement, which there's a lot of value in obviously in building like good mechanics. And that helps out the real world. So you don't injure yourself. You have like basic movement pattern understanding, but, uh, but yeah, dude, those, those kind of jobs, like working in arboriculture where you're like climbing trees and lifting logs, just doing that all the time. Oh, I was overall I wasn't my fastest but I was definitely my strongest right and it's like it's hard to measure that type of strength because like you're not like lifting weights so it's not like some sort of measurement on it but it's going to be more of like how you feel moving around throughout the world and you mentioned some of like the some of the best OCR guys like one one dude I was coaching never had any problem with any type of grip obstacle ever and never did grip strength work but he was like he he did uh, like masonry, you know. He like would oh, do that guy's forearms were probably yoked. Ridiculous. He had big old fat fingers, like super, and he's like a real skinny dude. So like, he's never gonna fail anything, and he's never gonna have to do grip work. Or like, if you just turn a wrench, you know, if like you do that over and over and over, you never have to do anything like grip specific because you're doing like you're, you're becoming so strong just on your day to day. Um. So yeah. So there's ways to find. There's ways to find strength in the things that you you're doing um right now without needing to be anything like super specific or, or super like drilled so down you know what's cool man is like so you live in a complex with a staircase like a solid staircase and uh i gotta sit a stair outside too so i can pull this off but i was actually moving somebody uh a few weeks ago and there was like a staircase it was a really old house and had like really big stairs so i was trying to hustle because it was like rain was coming in so every time i went up these stairs for just five seconds sprinted up them and like the next day I can feel, like, oh, I guess I, I guess I did sprint up those stairs. 
like 20 times. It was maximum power, but, you know, it lasted just a few seconds. Right. That's like that's right. many things that you can sprinkle in that you like actually get really good results from those little things. Yeah, you don't need huge doses at a time. Everything's like to get sore, you should do like 300 squats. And yeah, it'll make you sore. But like if you do 10, you know, 30 times, I guess, like you probably uh, would be less sore and probably be better off. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, dude, it's funny. It's like right here, my glutes are actually kind of burning at this point. I've been kneeling here this entire time. I'm like kind of switching back between lunges, getting like a little bit of a hip flexor stretch and then going back to like a double kneel. But dude, my hips are feeling it. It's good stuff. Nice. We'll feel that tomorrow too. Yeah, you can just kneel every now and then when you're having conversations. Um, anything else you want to add to finding strength in everyday activity? Have fun with it. Be creative. Make it a make it a game. Make it like a little bit of a challenge. Uh, and at the very least, I, I encourage and challenge everybody to like to sprinkle in those those three or four movements every day. If you got a pull up bar, do those. But something super attainable, you can do it absolutely anywhere. Uh, and I encourage you to do it in public so people are, like think you're weird, but also are, like kind of impressed. Like, why is this person doing push ups? They're making me look bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so push ups, squats, Stop doing yeah. this. Stop doing <laughs> push ups here. Doing curls. Doing curls. Yeah. Oh, if it's a solid, if it's like it's a really strong bag or you brought your own canvas bag because you're a good boy or girl, you can like start doing swings with the canvas bag. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is great right now. And you'll get a solid workout. Everybody has something like that that they could do at home or, or around, you know? Yeah. Um, cool. Same deal. Yeah, just try it. Try it out. Like, you won't be sore. It. It'll be a nice little break from the, from the day. You'll be impressed about how you feel, the frequency of things. I found it really helps when I am doing squats. It helps with my hip mobility because it gets me up and gets me moving, gets me, like, doing stuff. Um, and my push-up game is strong as ever. Sweet crushing push-ups the superman one where like all limbs come off the ground you extend your arms out in front of you oh dude those are really hard i've been trying to do them and i just like like my, almost like fingertips like you kind of like press down like on like just can't like get my arms straight out as cool as uh like you see pictures of people doing it and they look like they're straight up flying i'm like my arms go out like halfway oh you mean like in a, in a plyo sense or like pushing off yeah, the ground yeah, like you kind of fully extend yourself from heels to hands uh i thought you meant like all the way extending your arms and toes like on the ground and then pressing yourself up. Oh, that's see, a good one. Those are really hard. And those end up being like super, it's oh, more like of a calisthenic type of move. Like a, like one of those like bar, bar breakers, but I guess so is the plyo Superman one. I'm surprised you can't do that. Uh, me too. Me too. What the fuck? <laughs> You're just letting us down. It's the um, shoulder mobility. It's uh, it's coming. It's coming folks. Work on that shoulder. mobility. do some, uh, pass-throughs or something yeah that's another one i do is uh band pull-aparts i do those a lot because I'm, when i'm sitting band pull-aparts are a good one to do just to open up um the upper back which you know doesn't get much movement when you're just chilling um oh cool man so what, what else you got going on? what you got going on this week dude we're gonna hang this up and i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go into town gotta get some uh diesel fuel and a couple of shear pins uh throw it on the tractor and get to that berry garden i was talking about let's see nice. the logs around dig holes yeah yeah because we got a we got a bunch of blueberries out there that are already established and we're going to plant by we i mean mostly monica i just built the infrastructure uh <laughs> well we're going to get a bunch of berries in there like sea berries raspberries and if you say raspberries i hate you uh, it's rasp berries oh you want you want to i'm one of those want that pee? <laughs> i want it rasp berries berries <laughs> and then we'll throw a net over all of it because the birds you got any raspberries you got any any raspberries there 
<laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much it for me, man. And uh, I might go hit it uh, or aim for an FKT this uh, this weekend if the weather is looking good. Yeah. Which one's that? Yeah, there's uh, there's one. It's like on the southern part of the Catskills. It's like 13 miles with 5K gain. And uh, it said it like two and a half hours, but it was done in winter uh, by one of our homies, Frankie. And uh, he could totally go and smash it, but I'm like, I'm going to go hit it first, and then you can go and beat it. You're going to go ahead and smash him? I'm going to go and smash Dude, he smashed me, man. I uh, So that place that I did, that uphill time trial, that I got – by the way, I beat my previous time, which I was stoked about. Nice. So, yeah, I shaved uh, 25 seconds off of it. So it was a nasty day too. Yeah, it was cold, but and it was super windy, but I ended up kind of – liking it because i wasn't sweating so i like cooler stuff anyways he he went up there and he didn't get to climb ha but he dude he blitzed the downhill he's like really oh, you. he's like oh you're a downhill runner yeah watch this dude he at it was uh like two point yes yeah, 2.1 or 2.3 miles depending on the, the the watch you're wearing but yeah he averaged like a 442 mile on that downhill. Whoa. and it was yeah it was 1300 1400 feet drop over that so that hurts it hurts man <laughs> He's a good runner. This is Frankie DeSoma. Shouts to Frankie. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, yeah he was a collegiate level runner. I'm pretty excited about about him uh, getting stronger because he had hip issues for a mm-hmm. while, and uh, he's been he's been getting through it. But yeah, because like you and him, I got a memory of you, you. I think you guys finished like fourth and fifth in front of me at the Jersey Super back in like 2017. Yep. Yep. Think, uh, yeah. Frankie won the first outdoor race I ever did in 2016. I got like a millionth, and he got he won. He killed everybody. At Vernon, the Beast in April in 2016 smashed everybody, um, and since then I've caught up. But yeah, we're around the same. Yeah, I, I like Frankie a lot. Yeah, I like when he's fit, ready to rock. Yeah, we had a battle at Palmerton a couple years ago as well. Um, nice. Same thing. Like, like I hung. Like I did much better than him going up, but going down, he just trashed me, crushed me. I was like, and he was like, kind of just coming back at the time. I was like, God, dude, this dude's just good at this. Yeah, dude. dude when I saw that, when I saw that Strava segment, I felt my heart. I was like. No, you don't. I have to. I was like, oh, I gotta go beat it now. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna try to? Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna make it hurt. Nice, good, 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 good. I yeah. did. I, I started training again this week just to bring things back, and I feel good. Like right, right from the jump, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm back in it. I feel positive about it. I'm like, like I wasn't sure how I was gonna feel because I was kind of enjoying the downtime and like my mindset wasn't really on point. And now it's back, and it feels great. I feel ready. I feel ready to train. I did. Dude, this how, work- was your, uh, how was your wake up with Joe? <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> it was great. Have you ever, have you ever seen I, those? I, you- I, I, I didn't watch it. Tell me about it. Oh, I wouldn't expect you to watch it. it it's just like a 30 minute workout that, you know, I say, all right, we're going to do 30 air squats. And he's like, okay, cool. We're going to do 30 crunches. And then it's like, all right, well then, and it just goes back and forth for 30 minutes. It's like not a conversation. It's just like a little workout. Um, I don't know why he needs someone there with him. Um, I think it's just a I, 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 protein promotion. I, I guess, but like he definitely doesn't know my name any more than he did before we met. He knows nothing more about me. I doubt anybody who watched knows anything more about me. It's probably just a way to get the people who are on the pro teams network onto watching and putting more people in front of Joe. Um. Because that's all I can really imagine. Like some people were just like, "Hey, I saw your thing. That was cool." Um, I was like, "Yeah, it, it, it was. It was fine." I was a little annoyed by it just because it kind of threw a wrench in my routine. It was like at eight a.m., which I'm usually doing shit. But uh, I was like, "All right, fine." So it was like fun enough. Um, how about? Did you see they're doing uh, a race in Jacksonville? 
I did see that. I did see that. But then are they only doing because we yeah, I, I brushed up on the conversation that you were having with like Mark and Nick. Are you guys only is it only open or it's only open. Yeah. Okay. And they they've released some guidelines since that say that's like they're not gonna have like carries, they're not gonna have any water, there's gonna be temperature screenings. No. <laughs> no uh yeah, like all volunteers wearing masks. Um I like water obstacles. I don't know if they're gonna have any water on the right. course either. Um, I would imagine maybe both. I don't know if it's gonna, still going to be a sprint. I don't know what the course is going to be like. Um, I don't know why they're doing it. And I don't know what the general... They're hungry. Is. People are hungry. People will definitely show up. And I mean, I get it's it. Like they're, yeah. They're a company. They have employees. They want to pay their employees. Like It's people's livelihood. Like I'm all for that and trying to get people out there and, and, and making, making it run again. So I don't think it's just a money grab. I think it's like a, a necessity by the company to make sure that they are able to hold on to this thing and not have to lay people off and to feed people. Um, so I'm cool with all that. But I don't know, man. People are going to get sick. People are going to go and get sick. I hear that. I hear that. So yeah. I, I, Man, I am, I am so freaking excited for a race to start up and I'm like, I am getting hungrier and hungrier to do national series races. Cause I'm like, man, I, I want, I want a lot of hard competition. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just need to, cause nothing keeps y'all more honest than that. Like I can go to regional races and maybe I'll do well, maybe someone will come out of nowhere and, and take it. But like, I want to, I want to be nervous. I don't want to, I'm like, I've been going to a lot of races where I'm just too calm just like oh i'm just here to run run you know i need to go to a race like i actually really care about and i'm like kind of intimidated so nice good yeah and that's you know who knows when that's going to be but i I like where your head's at yeah i'm missing that competition real bad i watched the um the 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 fittest which is the crossfit documentary that comes out every year about the crossfit games documentary yeah is it the newest one that's the newest one from the official crossfit Mm -hmm. yeah butter bros yeah yeah, buttery, buttery, buttery Bros did that, and it was awesome. And it just gave me such an itch to compete. I was like, oh my god! It's because it just puts you in that moment where you know it's following Matt Fraser, and he's like, I got to this point, and then I just told myself, you have nothing to lose. Like, don't be scared. And I was like, damn, I just want to tell myself that in a moment, like in in the physical exertion against somebody else. Like, there's no reason to back off right now. Just there, why would you be scared? Don't be scared. Like, it's hard to put. It's hard to get those moments outside of actual competition you know it's hard to 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 push yourself to that point like you can push yourself physically just by yourself but to get to the point where there's something else that is driving you instead of just like your your performance on that specific day for yourself when there's other people involved it's just different man and i miss that dude 100 that's god I'm, i was glad when frankie went to uh that trail and did that because i was like oh i haven't felt that in a while like that little sting of competition mm-hmm. like no i want to be faster yeah i, yeah, I dude, know i gotta feed that beast i know so that, i'm missing competition that way i'm in no rush to go to a race in jacksonville for an open race just for the sake of rolling in the mud um I like, and I don't, I don't, I would, I wouldn't do a race that's just open. Like if that's how they did all the races moving forward, that I'm not going to be doing any of those races. Um, I would yeah. imagine. Well, I, really I did a pretty. Hope that Palmerton shows up. I don't think so, dude. That's- that that you don't think so. that. Ca- so what I understand, like, and this is just what I understand, and I don't understand that much, is that is the. Nothing. Exactly. The county, the county's on like lockdown now, which will go until June 4th. So we can't even get on that mountain until then. 
and Palmerton's like kind of in my backyard here. And like, it's uh, a lot of the people who I know in OCR are connected in and around it. Um, so the, the county's on lockdown until June 4th. So you can start getting on the mountain then, but then it goes into like their yellow stage, which is uh, another eight weeks, I believe. And that confines. Mm. Yeah. That goes into the race date. Goes into the race date. And it, it, it means you can only have like 25 people in one space Oof. for an event. Um, so I'm, I would not count on Palmerton if you are planning, if you're counting on Palmerton, don't. don't. So I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with these ultras. Like we talked about last time, like is if Ohio is going to happen or if it is going, cause they need to figure I out gotta, ways I gotta, to I gotta qualify. I got to qualify. Right. Like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Like, maybe, maybe I'll try to reach out and see if anybody has any idea what is going to happen with yeah, uh, qualifications. Yeah, they, I, mean, I should have asked Joe. Joe, Joe, hey, 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 excuse me. About <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, wait, could you just? He's like, no, nope. It's like, do do we're doing burpees, Leonidas burpees, Leonidas <laughs> burpees. Um, dude, I did a real spicy workout the other day that I'm going to use for like an OCR short course benchmark. It was 800 meters like at race pace and then 10 burpees and then 400 meters and 20 jumping lunges and then 400 meters. And I did like these triple jumps as a way to, um, kind of do some balance and coordination and like explosivity in, in the middle of a high, what's that? Like track and field style triple jump. It's sort of, it would be like track and field. I think you, you jump off of your right foot, then your left foot, then your right foot. And then you land. This was jump off two feet to your right foot, to your left foot, to two feet. Um, as just a way to be a little explosive and to use your brain a little bit. And, and it had to be in that sequence. And if I screwed it up, I had to do it again. So like it did make you stop and really kind of have to think like how you would, like if you were coming up to um, some sort of crossing that you were unfamiliar with, some sort of terrain you were unfamiliar with and uh, just kind of help that coordination while you're exhausted. Yeah, And yeah, I did, yeah. I did three rounds of that, which ended up being, it ended up being 5k. It ended up being 3.1 somehow. And dude, it was fun. It was nice, real dude. nice. So that Yo, was that was kind of my point about, to get started. How long did that take you? Like eighteen thirty, I think. So was it, was it like absolutely killer? We just destroyed. Yeah, it was a really bad. Like the second half was really really hard, and that's what I was hoping. You know, in the stadium race where you're going so hard that you like, it's like okay, this could end any time now and i would be happy with that <laughs> i would be happy with this being over it did feel that way it felt like the back half the back quarter of uh, a stadium race which is what i was hoping for Dude, so it was nothing makes me feel like i am dying more than a stadium race mm-hmm. of all the races that i've done just because it's like that that intensity duration and like the variety of things that you're doing mm-hmm. oh, and man. like and you can go you can really really go there's nothing slowing you down not that much anyway and i think that's how decafit's gonna be too man i think that's gonna be rough I want to do it. I, I'm looking forward to some of those sort of things. They're not my bread and butter, but they are just, I had so much fun at high rocks. Uh, the stadiums are a blast. They're just, they're just cool, different. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's where I'm at. Just doing some benchmarks. I'm going to do it. Do you have any, do you do like a carry benchmark at all? Do you have that? Or do you just, do you even do carries in your training? I do carries, but I, uh, I don't have any benchmark uh, other than once in a while I'll do uh, like the strong first kettlebell. I, uh, uh, benchmark, which is you do a hundred snatches in five minutes with mm. uh, a 24 kilo, uh, kilogram kettlebell. So I'll do that every, every once in a while. And that's kind of one of those things that I know I can always do. It's just like, how much is it going to hurt? And it almost comes down more to like calluses on the hand. Uh, right. Yeah. I do that. That's good. Do yeah. 
No, no, I was saying like, yeah, if it's uh, like, especially with a snatch, like your hands and the being limiting factor and something like that a lot. Um, I'm going to do something tomorrow or Saturday that uh, I've kind of tested in in the past where it's like running a half mile and then as hard as you can, then a sandbag carry for a half mile and then running, uh, running easy for a mile and then doing it again. And uh, just to see where that, where those things kind of line up between the two. So I figure it's like, Get into that sandbag at a high rate and and get because a lot of times the sandbag comes down to just mental effort. You know, you could always go a little bit faster on the sandbag, but yeah. there's an excuse to not because um, there's this big bag on your on your back, but and, and you're always and you're a little bit tired, so it's a good kind of place to settle in. So I figured getting to it at like maximum exertion, throwing it on your back, and then just going and just gr- gritting it out for a little bit, and then doing it twice kind of adds some honesty to it. So it's like, okay, let's see how you recover and see how you bang at it again. And usually in a race, there's more than one carry, right? There you go. There you so, go. You didn't do the, uh, you didn't do the ANSI camp. Uh, oh, it was like 27 marbles and shuttle one down to the other side of the field, do 10 burpees, run back. And you end up doing like a 5k with God knows how many burpees over a hundred or something. The logistics on these contests are <laughs> silly. Like that doesn't make any sense. If I kind of do that, do that one for a couple of reasons. One, it's on like you do it on grass, and I just I actually really enjoy it, just running back and forth from field goal to field goal, especially like mm. doing sprints on the on the turf. Uh, but and it's kind of cool, like oh, I'm gonna do burgers at one end, run to the other. Like it's it is pretty straightforward, and I just want to see how I compare to, like Nick and the other guys because it's a good indicator of how fast you move compromise because like you're literally only running 100 meters or 100 yards, and then doing burpees and then doing it again and you do that so many times yeah that comes down to grit too because it's like a short rate a short run so you can like take you can like take 100 meters off kind of just because it's only 100 meters so you're not probably not gonna lose that much time but you might if you continuously do that because there's so many so many chances to take it easy that you can like it's like, is the 100 meters going to take 18 seconds or is it going to take like 25 seconds? Right. And how many times it, what, what does it take 25 seconds and you're allowing it to do it? You're not. That's almost like a test of grit. That, that, that's a cool I test. Like, I, like, I like it. I should do that one because I'm better at the grit stuff. When it comes to like speed, that's, uh, that's something that I'm working more on. Moron. And yeah, the, uh, yeah. The, yeah, cause like, right. Like, say, like, if we were even doing that together and like over the course of a 5K, like if we were just to run that, like I, w- I would, I would beat you. But if it was a hundred meters, <laughs> if it was, but it was a hundred meters over and over, like there's no way that I would be able to separate that much how I would in a, a, a flat 5k. So I like it. I think that's a really cool test. Maybe I'll try it too. You know what? Nice. 27 marbles. I don't know if I have a field. I don't know if I have a field, you know, everything's oh, closed. Yeah. 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 I think Nick did that. He said he didn't like 32 or something and then like Derek York also did it in about that time they were pretty close but I think the fastest time was like in the low 30s former guest John Howell he's a um based out of Portland smashed it he had the best time and he's like a master's oh, really? athlete he's a beast yeah he's like he's in his uh in his early 40s and is just a monster nice thank you for those guys you give me hope yeah no oh, he's been and gone. he's been and he's been crushing for a long time um all right cool we're just kind of talking now all right well let's uh go ahead and uh sign off bro where can we find you thanks everyone uh we're gonna be we're gonna be on the instagram from time to time maybe i'll be there a lot maybe i'll be on there not so much but you can find me there at ja underscore s-h-u-a underscore r-i-e-d i have to think about it every time i say that like how the hell do i spell my own freaking insta 
is the thing. The underscore thing throws me off. Underscore is tough. Yeah, I do the same thing. I don't know if I – sometimes I'm like, it's rich underscore reinforce. But it's reinforce underscore running underscore rich uh, on IG. Hit me up. I'm, I'm on there. I'm not posting a ton, but I'm there if you want to if you want to chit-chat, send some questions my way, or I just want to say what's up. Say what's up. Um, follow us on the YouTubes. Got one going – got some good stuff going on up over there. And that's about it. Cool, bro. Nice. Way to wrap it up.